Welcome, everybody, to the Jew Who Roadshow on-ramp, um, our Monday podcast for uh, December the 4th. And uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, what happened, you know, after after leaving KOBF and, and deciding, all right, I've kind of had enough of this. We're going to try something different. Um, uh, walked away from that. And at the time, we had, you know, some growing business going on. Hey, good morning, Jew Who Roadshow. Oh, by the way, we're doing something different um, this morning. We're going to start uh, um, recording these, or not recording, but going live on our Facebook page um, when we do these Monday morning shows. And so um, we've started that, and uh, we'll see if we can continue to grow that audience. And if you haven't uh, come over to our Facebook page and like that yet, it's uh, the Jew Who Road Show. So come over and, and check that out. You can also follow us on Instagram on the Jew Who Road Show. Um, so we're going to start doing these live on our fan page and um, and just sharing this with people and see what they think. So anyhow, um, after leaving KOBF, the NBC affiliate, um, I had a lot of things kind of going on at, the, at once, which was good. And that's probably, you know, that's what gave me the confidence to um, to step away from the television stuff. But uh, one of the things that we had going, I mean, there was doing a lot of weddings and stuff, which, oh, my gosh, um, I'm not going to lie. I, I got so tired of shooting weddings and I felt bad because, you know, a couple's getting married and it's their, you know, it's their big day and it's their first dance together. It's their first time cutting the cake and it's my 14th time doing it that summer. And so, you know, I really felt like I just, it wasn't being fair to people. Um, and especially like when we would do, we would do these um, Catholic weddings and they would have this thing called La Marcha and it was like a 45 minute dance that uh, I would actually run out of tape. I used to actually have to shoot on these little mini tapes that were 60 minutes long, and I would run out of tape shooting La Marcha. Um, and so I grew tired of doing weddings very quickly. And another thing that I would do is, um, and the amount of work, in, in, in retrospect, the amount of work that went into these things um, in comparison to what we got paid for them, I, it's a it's a head-scratcher. But... Um, but it was it was also one of the funnest periods of, of my company. Um, I would go with a sports team. I would stay with a sports team for an entire season and then put a highlight tape together for them. And so, like, um, for example, um, uh, did a soft, I stayed with a softball team for an entire season. It was the season they won the state championship. But every single pitch we shot, every single pitch – and because it was not digital, it was on tape. When you logged that, I had to go back and relog every single pitch um, and decide if it, you know, if it was a highlight or not. And then at the end of the year, I would have thousands of clips to go through to try to put this highlight video together. Another team that I did was a football team, and I I did their videos I think for two or three years, and that was interesting because that actually ended up with me being invited onto the coaching staff. So I, I shot the, the team for a few years and put the videos together. And then the head coach invited me to be a coach on the coaching staff. And so I coached with them for three years and coached in a couple of state championship games and made some really great relationships with some kids there. You know, one of the players is my son's godfather. And, and I mean, that was a great experience. And I really enjoyed that. That was down in Aztec, New Mexico. And I mean, we were just tearing people up. So that was a lot of fun. Um, 
so I was doing the sports videos, I was doing the uh, wedding videos, and then I, I started getting more and more of the industrial stuff that was kind of taking me all over the place. Like I was doing stuff for Chevron Texaco out of Wyoming. Um, let's see, who else was I doing? Elkhorn Construction in Wyoming and New Mexico. And then and then I started, uh, I forged a relationship with a company called Exterin down in New Mexico that was actually based out of Texas, Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas is the epicenter of the universe. I really believe that. It's the center of the universe because there are so many corporations that are headquartered in Houston. It's not even funny. I mean, so many, so many companies have their headquarters in Houston. And so I built this really great relationship with Exterin. Um, and that that lasted for a good seven or eight years. And then Exterin kind of went through this divorce well, it's a, it was a split. They split into two different companies, but it ended up being like a bad divorce. Um, and I miss working with those guys. There were some great people there, and, and um, then they became, uh, they were Exterin, and then they became Exterin and Arch Rock, and I did a little bit of work for Arch Rock. Um, but, uh, man, when, when things went bad last year, they went bad all the way around. I mean, they, you know, obviously safety videos are a luxury purchase, um, and so that was one of the first things that got set aside, but, and I was doing stuff for like California dairies and, uh, went out to California. That was a fascinating, um, that was a fascinating safety video to do because there was, um, this huge dairy plant and watching how they processed all that. And they made their milks and their sour creams and their butters. And I was just, it was amazing to see that process. I mean, those, that's, it's pretty, pretty impressive stuff how they do that. So California dairies and then I did like some stuff uh, for the New Mexico Athletic Association that was sponsored by McDonald's. I mean, it was cool. And, and it was really exciting because, I, I, it, you know, it was scary taking that leap, leaving television um, and then, you know, wondering if the business was going to continue to come in. And, and, you know, that's a frightening thing. I mean, there's a lot of freedom that comes along with being able to do your own thing. But um there's a lot of fear because you're the only one that's that's uh, that's supplying the work, and so you got to keep hustling. And it's been that way since 2003. So we're going on 15 years of doing this on my own, which is it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm proud of that. But uh, uh, and I'm constantly changing things. I mean, obviously, I went from the industrial videos and that kind of stuff to making these documentaries, and and um, and now we're doing this podcast. Um, but you constantly have to evolve. You have to keep trying new things. And, and you know, change is uncomfortable, no matter if, if it's good or bad. Change is always uncomfortable. Um, and so, but, you know, it just, it's it's been nice over the last 15 years to be able to have that freedom to do the jobs that I want to do and travel so much. Like, we just got back last night from a fantastic trip out to the Bay Area in San Francisco. And I'm... I mean, we were going nonstop. We got there on Friday, uh, and um, we we shot a podcast with, or we recorded a podcast with a gentleman that um, I'm going to tell you a bit more about at the end of the show because he's our he's our uh, roadshow podcast this Friday. Um, I, I'll I'll tell you this: his his name is Papa Blueberry, uh, so that that should give you some idea of of you know his stories from the '60s in San Francisco. But then we, we did one with um, we did one with Matthew Oliphant, who is a fantastic artist and the brother of the actor Tim Oliphant, and his whole family is amazing. His other brother, 
uh, works for Warner Brothers, and his father is 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 something else. He's the closest thing to John Wayne I've I've ever seen on this planet. Um, and then we uh, we went into town, and I took my son to show him the Haight Ashbury district, and you know, kind of where that whole movement started in the summer of love of '67. Um, then we went, and this is probably a bit macabre for some some of you, but I took him to um, the corner of Washington and Cherry because we're both big fans of the Zodiac story, the Zodiac that like the unsolved serial killer case and the movie by David Fincher, which I just love is one of my favorite, favorite films. And, and there's the corner of Washington and Cherry is where one of the, uh, one of the Zodiac murders happened. So we went and checked that out. And then we did another podcast, um, on Saturday night with a really, really interesting guy. Um, he, uh, I'm going to turn this a little bit so I can get some more light for my people watching this live. Um, this gentleman was a uh, car chief and a crew chief with in NASCAR. Um, and then earlier this year, he left NASCAR and is now working um, basically in the chassis department for Tesla. And some of the things that he shares with us on the show is just unbelievable. I'm like, I literally, uh, in a matter of two hours of visiting with this guy, uh, have really started considering making my next vehicle a Tesla just because of all the things that they're doing. Uh, and then he, you know, he had a model with him because his part of his job is to drive them around and, and kind of test them out. And so, um, he, uh, he's on the show. And so I'm excited to share that with you guys. But, um, you know, if I had a nine to five job, we couldn't do those things. I couldn't take my son on those trips and we couldn't experience those things together. And so, that's really cool for, for us. Um, but, uh, anyhow, um, you know, so we, we left, I, I left TV and I had some jobs going. And so that made it, that made it, uh, made it feel a little safer. And, um, they just, you know, having been on television, I, I had a lot of contacts and we started doing some, you know, some television commercials and things for companies because they knew who I was. They'd watch me on the news and, you know, there was a, uh, level of respect for my work and so they wanted to hire me and so that was nice because that kept that kept things going um, and then um, I think it was like 2006 we decided to do some friends uh, some friends of mine uh, approached me and wanted to do a television show um, and it was going to be on CBS uh, throughout the state of New Mexico and of course my first thought was holy shit how is one person going to do an entire television show because that's all I had was just me. And um, so we created this program. They created it, to be frank with you. Um, they created it. And it was called Dream Home Drive. And um, Dream Home Drive was, it was a real estate program where it was supposed to be people highlighting houses that were for sale that were, you know, beautiful houses and letting people know that these houses were on the market throughout the state of New Mexico. Now, all the houses we were shooting were up in the Four Corners area. And, you know, I'm probably going to try to get uh, one of the girls I did this program with on, on our podcast so we could talk about it because that was one of the most difficult, um, exhausting, fun two years uh, of, of my life just because there was so much work. So it was, uh, I think it was every Sunday... The show was on, and it was a 30-minute program once a week. So once a week, I was having to put together a 30-minute program for CBS. 
and it was all these houses. And so I'm, I'm running from place to place, shooting house and house and house and house. And then I'd have to go home and, and, and uh, type up the description of these homes. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a real estate agent. I'm, I'm not a realtor. So I, uh, I'm learning all this, you know, all this terminology about houses and floors and countertops and, you know, the way the house is built. And I, I learned a lot. Um, but goodness, I, I, uh, I did a lot of running around. And so what the girls would do is they would, they would, um, I think one of them was responsible for booking the houses to put on the show. And then the other one was responsible for getting the advertisers to be on the show that helped pay for everything. And so I'm running around doing these, these houses. And so it, you know, for three people, uh, we did, we did quite well for just three people doing this thing. Um, and so we had that on for two seasons and then, of course, on top of shooting and, and editing and writing the descriptions, um, I hosted it with one of the one of the two girls that uh, that um, was putting it together behind the scenes because she she used to be uh, a, a reporter and an anchor for the same station that I was. We actually worked together um, for quite some time. And uh, the, th- the third person, the other girl was in the sales department at the same time. So we all kind of knew each other. And worked together and became very, very close friends during that process. But um, Shantae and I um, would actually host the show as well. And so we would shoot, um, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then um, uh, the beginning of the week as well. I'm trying to remember the timeline, but I think Wednesday, Wednesday was edit day. Now, this is where this is where it gets kind of fascinating and, and interesting. Wednesday was edit day, so I would hunker down in my in my office in my home in Farmington, and have to edit this thirty minute program for CBS. And um, unfortunately, one of the things that I that I learned helped me get through those days was cake. Now <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan of cake. I like eating cake. Um, I try not to anymore because I'm getting older and it just doesn't come off as quickly. Um, but uh, Wedding cake is my favorite, like white cake with that white sugar frosting that actually like hurts your teeth when you eat it. That's my favorite kind of cake. And um, Walmart actually makes pretty good cake. They make a, a good white cake with white frosting. And so the girls figured that out. They figured out that that was a good cake and that I liked it. And even more unfortunately is Walmart made these uh, probably like four inch cakes. I don't know if you've seen those or if you remember those, but they make these four inch cakes. So every Wednesday while I'm hunkered down editing, um, the girls would bring me a cake. And I shit you not, every Wednesday I would eat that entire cake. So I was eating a cake a week. Um, it didn't take long for, for, for me to put some weight on. Let's just be frank. Um, so I put some weight on fairly quickly doing the Dream Home Drive show. But I, I guess it kind, of, it kind of equaled out because I was running around so much that I, I worked it off. But uh, it was so fun doing that show, and, and we did it for two years. Um, unfortunately, the, the realtors in the area didn't quite understand the premise of what we were doing because it was, supposed to be, it was supposed to be highlighting these homes, these beautiful homes, because there are, there are some really, really fantastic homes in the, um, in the Four Corners area. Um, I mean, there are some that are so pretty. We actually, we, we have a realtor in New Mexico in Farmington that sponsors the Juhu Roadshow. Um, because, it, I mean, there's just so many nice places there. And in Durango and Cortez, those are all areas that we covered up in Colorado as well. 
But unfortunately, some of the real estate agents, they kind of lost focus on what the show was supposed to be about. So instead of, instead of, you know, sending us these like feature homes for us to do, they were, they were, they were sending us these shitty homes that they couldn't sell. And so it went from me going and shooting these like glorious, uh, you know, seven, eight bedroom homes with, you know, views of the mountains to, you know, double wides that they couldn't get off their hands and they were trying to get them. And so, you know, I went from talking about granite countertops and, and, you know, cherry wood cabinets and, and pine floors to, you know, <laughs> a pergo, pergo countertops and, you know, uh, or pergo, pergo flooring or whatever the hell it was. And, and, uh, you know, Corian countertops and wood paneling, you know, and, and uh, linoleum and you know don't worry you'll that stain will that stain will fade away in your mind after three months that kind of that kind of stuff and so you know it just became apparent that people were losing focus on what the show was supposed to be about and we were worn out but we were proud of ourselves because we got you know we got uh we got the show on statewide cbs for two years so that was cool and then uh in 2000 oh i think 2004 um, ish. I was, I was hired by a a small group. There's, there's a, every year the college in in New Mexico does this thing called leadership San Juan and, and, um, they pick, you know, community leaders and business leaders to kind of go through a leadership program. And part of that program is they have to do a project every year that gives back to the community. And so that leadership San Juan group hired me to do, um, a video, uh, about meth, and what meth was doing in San Juan County. That's where we live, San Juan County, New Mexico. So they hired me to do this video on meth addiction in San Juan County. So I did. It was called The Meth Monsters, like 18 minutes long. It's fairly informative. And um, it, you know, it's, it uh, fulfilled their obligation to do a community event or a community project in the area. So fast forward a little bit, and um, I was invited on a, a Christian men's retreat um, in, uh, I think late 2004, maybe, maybe was it? Yeah. Late 2004. Um, and as part of that retreat, we were talking about, you know, are we doing what we're called to do and, and what can we do to give back? And, and I don't know what it was. Well, I do know what it was, but it was a God thing. But, um, I was, I was challenging myself to do something bigger. And that is what, that was the seed that was planted for American meth. Now, um, I, you know, a lot of you that uh, know who I am, it's, you know, you know what American meth is. Um, and in American meth, American meth is a documentary that I did. And I, I want to walk you through the process of making the film, but just a quick overview. American meth is a documentary that I did um, that came out in 2007. And it's about meth, uh, the meth epidemic in, you know, primarily the western part of the United States. Um, and the communities that, that were dealing, different communities that were dealing with the meth addiction, with meth epidemic, and, and you know, programs that were working for them. But then another part of the, of the movie was that I lived with, with meth addicts for a, a, amount of, a period of time. And so um, after that retreat, I decided I was going to make this film. And I had no idea how to make a feature film. I had not, you know, all the stories I told were two to three minutes long at the longest when I was working for NBC because you just didn't have that much time. 
Uh, and then I had done the Meth Monster 18 minutes, but that's way different than a feature-length film. But I decided to do it, and so I start I started shooting interviews and researching and setting stuff up and traveling around, and um, and then the big coup for American Meth came when um, I used some reporter skills, and I I found a way to get the number to Val Kilmer's ranch, and so I called Val Kilmer's ranch, and I said I was trying to get in touch with Val to narrate a film, and um, I left a voicemail, actually, and told him what the film was about and where I was from and what I was doing, and um, I left it at that, and I assumed that would be the end of it. And then uh, it wasn't even 24 hours later. I got a call back from a a wonderful lady by the name of Pam. I don't know if she's still there or not, but uh, Pam ran the Pecos River Ranch outside of uh, Pecos, New Mexico, and she said that Val would narrate my film. And that was it. And I always, always loved that. You know, over the years, people have asked, how'd you get Val Kilmer to narrate your film? I called and asked. That was it. I just called and asked him, hey, you feel like narrating my film? And, and he said yes. And so over the course of, I would say, 18 months, I traveled to, um, I traveled to Montana and Wyoming and Utah and Portland, Oregon. Um, of course, New Mexico, and I started shooting this film and, try, you know, trying to figure out how to put it together. And I look at it now and I just shake my head because there's so many things I would do differently. But yet it's it's been uh, it's been a really successful film. It came out. So we started doing like screenings and film festivals and stuff like that in 2007. Uh, we did uh, we we won a film festival in Eugene, Oregon with it. And there was a distributor there. And they signed the film, and um, it came out in February of 2008. Um, that was that was uh, that was when it came out, um, and it was so exciting because you know, like Walmart ordered like 35,000 units, and you know, and just crazy stuff like that that I never dreamed possible. Actually, let me let me take a step back. Um, we we decided to do a screening of the film in Farmington to to do the world premiere and uh, you know you'll learn about me as as I talk about things how overly ambitious I am and so like I had this big event in Farmington I was hoping it was going to be a big event then I had like this VIP thing and I had like you know I had it catered and you know with like quail legs not eggs legs which you know you know how hard it is to eat a little quail leg it's funny. Uh, but we had this big event at the college, and and I was, I was just hoping, I was hoping that we would get like two or three hundred people there. I really was. I was so nervous because it was the first film, it was the first time anybody watched one of my films, and I was just deathly, like nauseous because I was so nervous about people, number one showing up, and number two, actually liking the movie. And so. Um, we had the the uh, Henderson Fine Arts Center, and San Juan College has always just been absolutely amazing at supporting what I do. So we had the Henderson Fine Arts Center, which holds 900 people, and uh, I was just I was just hoping that there would be enough people there that I wouldn't feel, you know, foolish, you know, having 60 people in the seats of a 900 seat um, theater. So um, the two girls, Carrie and Shantae, that I was doing the the uh, dream home drive with they helped me set it up they helped me advertise and promote and everything and um the night of the screening comes so we get there and of course we get there early 
and we're setting everything up and, and starting to get closer to the time where people should be coming. Um, and I just, I didn't want to look outside. I didn't want to look outside because I didn't want to see that there was nobody there. And, um, I looked outside. I finally walked up front and I looked outside the theater and there was a line of people that, uh, wrapped all the way around the theater and then back to the parking lot. And then I looked past them and there was a line of cars that went all the way. So you, you turn off of College Boulevard and you kind of go down this long driveway to get to the college. And then College Boulevard is about, um, it's about, I'd say, a mile down to the light. And there were cars backed up all the way to the stoplight at College Boulevard and then all the way down to the stoplight turning on to College Boulevard. So there was over a mile of traffic waiting to, to get to the screening. So long story short is I was hoping for about two or 300 people and we ended up completely filling up the Henderson and then there was four overflow rooms that had TVs in them and we filled out those all four of those up as well and then we finally had to start like start turning people away so we went from hoping to have 200 to 300 to having over 1200 people and uh, it was just it was a life life altering event and and it was funny because you know Okay, so that happened, and instead of you know reveling in that, I'm thinking, okay, now we got to do this, and we got to do this, and and Carrie and Shantae, and I've always appreciated them for this. Um, I'm running around, you know, trying to figure out what you know we got to be ready for when this is over because this is going to happen and this is going to happen, and they grab they grabbed me by the shoulders and they they uh, we went up to the balcony and there was a little side door there and they opened the side door and they pushed me in, and they said you need to stop and take a look because you did that. And it was it it was one of those images that you know kind of burns in your mind. And I remember looking over, you know, nine hundred people, just staring at that screen while this movie that I had been that I had worked on, uh, just just taking it in. And that was that's that's when I kind of felt like maybe I you know maybe I had a, a future making these these documentaries. And that really was a life changing event. That was a life changing moment. It was a life changing evening. And, uh, and, you know, from there, um, the film went on and, and did some, some neat things and, and, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe how quickly this goes. Unfortunately, um, I'm going to have to tell you about what American Meth did, um, in the next episode, because I want to take the last few minutes of this program to, uh, tell you about what's coming up this Friday on the Juhu Roadshow. And of course, you can listen to the Juhu Roadshow by going to patreon.com forward slash J-U-H-U. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash J-U-H-U. And that uh, it's a subscription-based podcast, five bucks a month, and you get to listen to all the shows that we've done. Um, this will be our uh, sixth sixth episode, I believe, fifth or sixth episode. And... Um, uh, yeah, so go check that out. And coming up this week, uh, we've got a gentleman um, actually didn't want to use his real name. Um, and he went by Papa Blueberry. And I think Papa Blueberry comes from uh, some of the product that he used to sell. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm not into that, but some of you might be, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. But you kind of have to try to imagine this. Um, this, this guy is from uh, a small town outside of uh, the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, um, and he goes to he goes to a concert and he sees Jefferson Airplane, Grace Slick, Janis Joplin in this little town outside of Minneapolis, and that at that moment he decided he had to be a part of what was going on. 
So he goes and gets on a Greyhound bus and rides it all the way across the country to the San Francisco area and gets dropped off in the middle of the Haight-Ashbury district um, in 1967, the summer of love. And, and the experiences this, this guy had and the, the things that he shares with us. And, and you know, you, you hear about the whole hippie movement and the Grateful Dead. And, you know, I, I'm assuming most of you know what the Haight-Ashbury district is. But if not, it's a crossroads. It's Haight and Ashbury. In the San Francisco area, it's near the Presidio, and that's kind of the epicenter of, you know, the Summer of Love, and, and you know, the Grateful Dead had a, a, a house there, and Je- I think Jefferson, no, um, I think, yeah, Jefferson Starship had a place there, I mean, and that's, you know, and there was all these, like, free concerts with these iconic musicians, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Janice, and Jimmy, and, and, and you know, all these amazing people, and this guy that we have on the program, he was right in the middle of it. And he was 18 years old. And so we just have this really fascinating conversation with a guy about, you know, what was that like, um, you know, during the summer of love and, 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 you know, during that late 60s period in the Haight-Ashbury district, because that was a place and a time that really changed things. I mean, it changed a lot of things that were happening in the world um, that we still, you know, we still feel the effects of today. Um, And, you know, he was he was right there in the middle of it. And so what was that like, you know, just living that? And then, you know, and then we get into what was it like as as the Vietnam War started surfacing and now you've got these two things that are out of balance. And, and you know, what was the mood like and, and what are some misconceptions about being alive at that time and being in that area at that time? And then what are some things that, you know, you're glad you got to be a part of? And so it's a fantastic program. Uh, it's a really great podcast. And that's coming up this Friday on the Juhu Roadshow. And again, if you want to subscribe to that, it's, it's patreon.com forward slash J-U-H-U. Uh, five bucks a month gets you every podcast that we've done so far and every podcast we'll do in the future. So go check that out. Um, that's going to wrap it up for this Monday. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Juhu Roadshow. You can track me down there too at the Justin Hunt. Um, and we have a Facebook page as well, the Juhu Roadshow. So we'd love for you to come over like that. Spread the word. Get some people uh, coming over to the podcast. Oh, one last thing I want to remind you. Uh, in the month of December, if you subscribe to the Roadshow in the month of December, 100% of the uh, subscription fees for the month of December are going to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. We want to give back a little bit uh, in this season of giving. So if you want to uh, kill two birds with one stone, you get some great podcasts and you get to uh, help out a fantastic organization in the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So that's going to do it for the on-ramp this week. Um, We'll see you or we'll talk to you on Friday on the Juhu Roadshow. Uh, Until then, uh, appreciate all of you and have a fantastic day. (laughs) 